Hello, and welcome to ASMR Tirar de Juego. Are you hoping to calm your mind, relax your body, or experience ASMR? Dr. Andrew Michaels is here to help you. Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome to my podcast. Today, it's very special. That's right. For one thing, I'm recording my podcast. This is the first time I'm going to try that. I wanted to record it and let everyone see kind of like the process I go through, if there is one, and just kind of give you an idea of what it looks like when I record. I use an NT1 microphone. It's the Rhodes mic. Let me show you real quick. So, and it's the Rhodes. And uh, the great massage ASMR and the great Dr. T ASMR put me onto this. Both of them are a big um, pusher of the quality that the Rhodes mic offers. And about a year ago, we started doing um, our ASMR podcast. Now, most of the podcasts are crazy, weird, paranormal stories. Ghosts, aliens, sci-fi adventures, uh, alternate uh, futures with crazy aliens, all kinds of fun stuff. But also, on the podcast, we do some of the more standard stuff back massages, um, depression, uh, anxiety, how to deal with bullying, all that kind of stuff. And I really enjoy those podcasts just as much as the uh, paranormal metaphysical ones. Today, we are marking, as actually last week, we crossed over 100,000 downloads on our podcast. Mm Mm-hmm. And when I say our podcast, it is a reason to celebrate because I have a friend that is very close to me and we work together on the podcast. This friend remains um, anonymous and secretive about their identity. And I am one to always keep a secret for a friend. Yes, sir. And I have wanted to brag about my friendship with this wonderful person and tell everybody how cool they are, how much work they do on the podcast, and just in general that they're just a sweet, kind soul. But I've held back, and I'm not doing much of that today either. Uh, I'm just going to let you know that uh, I don't do this podcast alone. I have a PayPal donation button. We do not get one single dime for the podcast. We've done it for free from the very beginning until now. Unless somebody donates, we don't make a dime. Now, we have had some small donations over time, and some regular people do donate regularly to my channel and the podcast. So I do appreciate those small donations. I'm sorry that my voice is not with it today, because I've been recording a lot, and 
Also, we're cooped up in the house, and I've got a little bit of a cold. I know I don't have the coronavirus, but I do have a little bit of a cold. And don't worry, you can't catch anything through the microphone. I checked. I looked it up. <laughs> I did see, uh, let's see, we want to stay focused. Okay, so I don't work on the podcast alone. And I have this wonderful friend who basically takes care of it for me and shepherds the whole thing and, and really works hard. So today, if you'd like to throw a little donation towards the podcast and uh, you use my PayPal to do it, please let me know that it's for the podcast or anything I get the next week or so. I will split those with the person who runs uh, the, the podcast so that they can get uh, something for the hard work that they do. We really do it for free. So don't worry. This is, you know, trying times for everyone. Do not donate if you don't have the extra money. It's not a big deal. But I do want to put it out there because this is like a big anniversary thing. I've got my patriotic shirt on. And I'm recording this little video to kind of break everybody in onto what I do. Now, um, one other thing. I did see a specialist this week um, about my condition with the Bell's palsy, which is on this side of the face. As you can see, I'm smiling as hard as I can. This doesn't go up yet, but there is a lot of movement in the eyelid. There's some muscle tension here, which is good. If I smile normal, it's, I look pretty normal. But I still have the thing with the one eye blinking both eyes need to blink more in sync if I concentrate I can get the other eye to blink more in sync with the other one and the doctor's going to see me in another month and it's going to take time for this to totally clear up but he didn't see the specialist did not see anything weird and he didn't see any thing that would prevent it from healing I'm going to get a hearing test uh, in about a month uh, just to make sure that everything is okay with my hearing. And we are also going to, he's going to double check my MRI that I got back in November just to make sure everything was kosher with that brain scan. We know there's brain damage in here. So that's, that's, but the brain damage does not affect me as a person. You know, the, the outside, it's just my mental, <laughs> mentally ill. I'm teasing, I shouldn't do that. Okay, now last week on the podcast, we found this creature. If you want to watch it, you can, you can follow the links below to the Podbean podcast website. You can download all of the podcasts for free. You can listen to them and then delete them and then um, download more. You can download them through iTunes. Spotify, and Google Play. Or you can watch them right on uh, Podbean, the website itself. You don't even have to join. You can just download. But if you do join, it tells me that you're interested in what I'm doing. What else? Furthermore, um, let me think. What else? Yeah, it's all free to download. And let me see. Oh, last week we found the Creeping Vampire. You see... It seems we've discovered that there are these shadow creatures. What they are, we still don't know. 
but they in inhabit the earth and they kind of float through the crust and the ground to avoid direct sunlight. You see, direct sunlight hurts them. A bright, bright light of any sort pulls them out of whatever creature they're inhibiting, inhabiting. And um, they can extend the normal life cycle of a creature by feeding off their emotions, keeping them in constant anger, hatred, or, or loathing, and not allowing the creature to pass away. So these creatures have been around for a long time, these shadow creatures, and they, they scare people, and they like feeding off our fears and insecurities. Okay? Well, Dr. Andrew Michaels is kind of on to them, and he found out that there was this thing called the creeping vampire. It was sucking the blood out of dogs and human beings in this small town in Ohio. And they went out into a strip mine, a coal strip mine, where they tear the ground off and exposes the coal seams underneath the ground. Now in Ohio, there's a lot of coal that they can use very close to the surface, and that's what a strip mine is. They just dig it right up out of the ground like you're digging rocks out of a quarry. Okay? Now, in this seam, they found an egg-shaped space in the coal seam, okay? A very ancient, ancient bubble of rock. Maybe it was a glass or onyx caterpillar um, cocoon over this creature. They haven't got all that information yet. But what they do know is something with about eight legs, with a long snout, with arms that looked kind of like the combination of crab and human hands crawl out of that seam of coal and up onto the ground. They attacked it and captured it, and in the process ripped two of the eight legs off and killed the creature. They really weren't trying to hurt it, but it got caught up in all the netting and the traps that they used to capture it, and it damaged the exoskeleton of the creature and ripped the arms of the creature off. Now, if that caused the creature to bleed to death or the trauma of being captured killed it, or, as we find out today, shining a bright light on the creature after reviewing the video proved that the light pulled the shadow creature out of it and the creature died. Now, as I Dr. Andrew Michaels reviewed this tape, I was very aware of looking for a shadow that instead of pulling away from light, like all shadows do, this shadow goes towards the light. And of course, that is exactly what I observed when I watched the video over again of the creeping vampire being drugged from the coal seam. A shadow that should not have appeared as it got closer and closer to the bright spotlight we were using to shine on the creature. A shadow crept more and more out of the creature towards the light and then dissipated in the face of the light. This was us drawing the shadow creature from this strange, odd, eight-legged freak. And the poor thing expired once that evil shadow being was no longer inhibiting its inhabiting its body we decided to do a autopsy on the creature and in doing so 
we quickly discovered that this creature had a carapace full of offspring eggs that it had laid somewhere. Now the problem is, did it lay the eggs in one nesting place in a safe, safe hidden spot? Or did it leave the eggs all over the place in different spots? Maybe that was the way it did it. We don't know. When you find an unknown creature, there are so many things that are incomplete on your list of behaviors. And you don't even know when it's prehistoric like this, what kind of world it lived in. Did it inject the eggs into creatures to use as a host body? We didn't know. But there didn't seem to be a stinger or a delivery device of that nature. So we quickly ruled that out. And what we discovered was, more than likely, it had laid the nest of eggs in one place. We set about searching out for this location. We had many teams of men looking for them. And the other problem we had was, how do we even know if they've hatched? They might already have hatched. They might be floating around right now, flying, walking, traveling away from us in every direction. So the only thing that made sense was for us to come up with a quarantine zone. We had to contain this creature's uh, egg deposits because we couldn't risk them just getting loose into the wildlife around us. We set up a corridor, 10 by 10 miles square. We figured that was good enough. The creature never really traveled more than a couple miles from the coal seam, so we thought it was more than unlikely the creature did not travel further away to deposit its egg somewhere. And of course we searched all the normal areas, valleys, nooks and crannies, little tiny indentations and hillsides. We checked every farmer's barn underneath sheds. Nothing was turning up. We really were at a loss and we didn't know what to look for. We kind of had an idea of the size of the eggs and we had a rough idea of how many there were, around a hundred of them. And they were about the size of a hardball, between a hardball and, say, a golf ball. So, I know that's a quite a difference in diameter, but roughly speaking, if you saw hundreds of hardballs laying somewhere, or a hundred golf balls laying somewhere, it would give you an idea that that's probably what you're looking at. We even set up mock examples of what it might look like in a nested scenario. And we also did it where it was spread out, what it might look like, and how insects lay their eggs, what it might look like in, you know, to a normal eye when it's that big. Nothing seemed to work. And then, a couple days later, the expected happened. We had our first attack. A farmer's dog was attacked by a creature. It did not drain the blood and kill the creature, but it definitely hurt the dog. The dog had bite marks all over its legs, and whatever it was had crawled up onto the dog while it was sleeping and attacked it. The dog woke up and sh shook off the attack and fought back. 
Whatever had bit it and attacked it must have been able to get away because the dog did not um, kill one of the creatures. But we definitely had the one entry wound strike the snout of the creature and we knew we were dealing with a smaller version of it. Searching the farmer's entire property and all of his neighbors, we found nothing. Not one thing. Were they flying? Were they up in trees? We searched with drones. We searched with helicopters. We switched with, we uh, searched with fixed wing uh, uh, airplanes. Nothing was turning up. No patterns, no creatures, no egg shells, no nothing. And we were at a loss. Well, we knew the creature was nocturnal. And we also knew the creature would avoid sunlight. So wherever the eggs were hidden would have to be underground. So it might be a abandoned mine shaft, well, uh, an old septic tank, something like that. So we searched all around the property. Nothing turned up. And then it caught my eye. We were searching everywhere except one place. You know, when you're searching somewhere, it's... You, You'll always find it in the last place you look. Have you ever noticed? And I realized, what's the darkest place on this farm that would allow those creatures to hide nocturnally and shield them from the sun? And that's when I spied it. The farmer had a very large lake set off deep into his property. I asked him about the depth of the lake, and he said it was about 65 feet deep in the deepest spot. We immediately got to work on fencing off the pond and getting an idea of what we were dealing with. I handed fishing rods to several men in my group and told them to fish anything, sunfish, catfish, anything out of that pond, and let me take a look at it. The farmer said there were sunfish in there and bluegills and they get pretty big because they keep the lake well stocked the lake well stocked and there's some catfish in there. And it was it was a very big and large lake. Now he had made the lake and he at one time used it to raise bass and then he would, you know, kill the bass for a food source. But he found that he liked the taste of sunfish and bluegills better, even though they were smaller. So they're easy to catch, and they should be easy to spot and easy even to net. I wouldn't allow anybody into the lake to net, but we did throw some nets onto the lake in hopes of pulling up some fish to examine. After around midday, we realized we weren't getting a bite. And the farmer said, that's ridiculous. You guys are just city boys. You don't know how to fish. So the farmer took his own rod and some famous homemade bait that he uses to catch sunfish and went out and cast his rod. Well, within a few minutes, he got a, he got a hit. He managed to catch something. And he said, see, I told you, I got a big one. I bet it's a cat. So he thought it was a catfish. So he's trying to reel it in, and it's just not coming. It's not coming. It's not coming. 
And I said, uh, you may not have a catfish there. Uh, why don't you let one of my men bring that in? And I said, everybody train on that fishing line. This might not be what we think it is. And there was definitely something tugging and pulling back. He had definitely got something. Well, within about 30 seconds, we got our answer. When an eruption of the water took place and a cache of eggs in the shape of an adult form of that creature came up out of the water immediately as the sunlight hit this body mass of eggs. It fell apart and dispensed back into the water, the eggs sinking back into the water beneath. There was definitely something tangled up in that mass of eggs, and it appeared that only some of them had hatched at this point. And whatever they were, they were feeding on the fish of the lake and feeding quite well. The lake was probably devoid of fish life and turtles and anything else that decided to live on its banks. The creature reared up again, pulled on the fishing line, and almost pulled the farmer into the water. Only quick reactions from the agents that were with me prevented the farmer from following, falling right into his lake and into the dark, muddy abyss that awaited him. His pole went across the water and then stood up on end as it floated on its cork end and then plopped down underwater. After about a minute, it floated back to the surface. It looked limp, and one of my men fished it out with a hook and pulled it. It was detached now. The line had been broken. Right around that time, one of the nets we cast into the lake earlier seemed to have something tangled in it. The men tried to work the net, and the more they did, the more it was clear something was trapped in it. I told them, look, whatever it is, it's just going to jump out when we pull it up because of the sunlight. What we've got to do is we've got time. We've got to get some fencing in here and some barriers, some plastic barriers, and we've got to fence this lake off. So we made a call to the local fire department and emergency services and the police and got every man we could get our hands on. Every stick of two by four fence posting, post hole digger, piece of plywood we could get, every eight mil piece of plastic roll we could get, and duct tape. And we quickly built a barrier around the lake. The barrier was about 10 feet high and went all the way around. Two sheets of plywood, about eight, with like a overhanging piece of plastic to kind of keep whatever if it jumped towards the wall back. And we managed by dusk to get the area sealed, and we had huge spotlights all around the lake positioned and ready to go. Now we know we have a weapon on our side, a very simple weapon, and that is light. We had proper cages, and we had some animal control people there giving us suggestions on how to catch it, and some proper cages that might not damage the creature. And we thought we had a pretty good grip on the whole thing. 
Well, nighttime fell. And that's when the little ones crawled out of the lake. And when I say the little ones, they were about two, two and a half feet long. I told the men, don't shine lights on them. Just let the animal control guys put a loop on them, a nice rope loop, and let them cage them. They're not harmful. They're too small to even kill you if they did bite you. And I also made sure the men knew if you do get bit, you're not going to get injected with alien microbes or, or some kind of disease. Not necessarily. Because the creature isn't a carrier or it, and it doesn't transmit diseases as far as we know. Now these creatures have been living in this nasty, dirty old lake. And it was very muddy. So, you know, there was a chance something was going on there. After about a half hour, all the little ones were caught and caged. And we put them off to the side. One of the local firemen, I think he was a volunteer. As we were, you know, trying to figure out what to do next and get an idea of what to do, he decided to walk over with his mag light and shine one of the, his mag light into one of the cages of the creatures to get a good look at it. When he did that, the creature made a noise, like a hissing noise, like blowing air out of wind sacks inside its body or underneath its wings. It was definitely a warning signal. When it did it, all of the little ones did the same thing. And that's when the big one came out. The big one wasn't as big as the creature we had killed a few nights before. About eight feet long, eight arms. The big one must have been curled up on the bottom of the lake. And it was a big one. What we had seen when we saw the eggs come up to the surface was only part of its hind end, for lack of a better term. This creature reared up and was about 25 feet long. At least that's the estimate. We don't know yet. It reared up and six of its legs were out of the water. The other two in its tail for balance were still submerged. On its back were many little new hatchlings crawling around on its back. We were completely stunned by this, but not half as stunned and surprised as the fireman shining his light on the baby. The creature reached forward, snatched that man out of the sky, or out off the lay off his feet, snipped the maglite off of his arm, and it fell to the ground. Now, when I say it snipped it, it didn't knock the light out of his hand. It snipped his arm off to make him drop the light. He fell to the ground and rolled and writhed in pain. It was a horrible sight, blood going everywhere, and the creature immediately was drawn to that blood and decided it needed a drink. It slammed into the man full force. What we had found was the actual father 
of the mother we had killed. Obviously, the father's job was to care for the babies until they were hatched. And he was much bigger and, dare I say, had much more ability to do just that. He pushed his snout so deep into the man's abdomen. Within seconds, the man was drained of all the body fluids that he had inside his body. His arm, where he had had his arm severed, quit bleeding. And you almost could hear the sound of a straw slurping up the veins of his arm. It was a disgusting sight. The creature reared up with the man still poised on the snout of its body and flung him into the wall that we had built around the lake. We were very aware that our little barrier could not hold this creature back. And we decided to take evasive action. And I didn't give the order to take evasive action. I was one of the few people still inside the area. Everyone else had already left. I don't know what happens to a man in combat situations or when he sees too much of the paranormal, but something snaps in your brain and it takes you a while to react. Most people have a, a, a flight or fright response to strange things like this, gunfire, a person chasing them with a knife, somebody threatening to kill them. When you've been in combat and seen some of the stuff I have, you just kind of freeze and you just time slows down and you just kind of see everything happening before your eyes. And then you realize, oh wow, I'm the only dummy still standing here and it's starting to look at me. Of course, I was not unarmed. And I pulled my sidearms as I started running for the exit to the cordoned off area. I managed to get outside the area without either having to fire a shot or being attacked. The creature went right back underwater. It just disappeared. We went back in and we saw all the cages that we had of the little ones start one by one floating to the top of the surface. This creature was definitely in a semi-hibernation state, taking care of the little ones till they were all hatched, and it was only taking a defensive posture. Whether or not a little one was what was trapped in the fishing line earlier or the net, we didn't know yet, but it was obvious this monstrosity was not caught up in the nets. We were dealing with a creeping vampire 25 to 30 feet long, and we did not necessarily have anything to stop it. My men wisely were already on the phone with the Ohio National Guard, and they were sending down the biggest firepower they had. We also made a call to the federal government, and we were asking for fighter plane support, uh, maybe a warthog, maybe a couple fighter jets, anything we could get our hands on that could come to the area immediately. It seems when you see a 25 to 30 foot long crab-like creature with a hard shell that probably could bounce bullets off of its chest all day long and eat you in the process, 
It makes you call out the big guns. I told the men as I holstered my weapons, don't count out your sidearms just yet. Our firepower, if we concentrated and we work in square formation, we might be able to damage the creature or push it back. So don't think your weapons won't work. But I don't think we should be provoking an attack at this time. Right around the time I said that, I realized, as well as many others did, that a shadow was falling over me. I turned and looked, and the creature was looking, peering over the wall we had built around the lake. It was strictly observing us. It was ready to make its move while we were still planning ours, and it slid back behind the wall out of our sight and back into the lake. You could see the cages if you looked inside the fence floating. It freed all the babies we had captured. We quickly closed off all the exits that we still had open. At least we could keep the little ones inside, and we knew where the creature was now. And our fence and our construction made a pretty good bullseye target for anybody that needed to see it from above. One thing we did not want to do was just open fire on the creature. Just because a living creature is behaving somewhat badly, you don't just kill it. I mean, killer whales, sharks, and other creatures have been known to kill human beings on purpose or by accident, but the creature is still only doing what the creature does. We may be able to salvage the situation remove the creature, and take it to a safe place. But we needed more help. We needed biologists. We needed scientists. We needed some great minds to look at this. And what we had to do was try and hold it in place. And then we would make a decision from that standpoint. I'm going to leave you now, and we'll finish the story up next week. I thank all of you for joining me this week for this very, very special podcast. And I appreciate all of you helping us get our goal of 100,000 downloads. If you like the Creeping Vampire storyline, stay tuned. Next week we'll finish it up. And there's the first part last week. There are many other strange paranormal stories this whole year we've been telling all original stories, all original creatures, feel free to check them out starting with January 1st. I leave you now with good words and hope that you have a wonderful week. I know we're all going through a lot right now, but I assure you things will improve. Maybe not right away, but very soon. And I am hopeful and I hope that we all get through this together. Until next week, have a most blessed time with your family in quarantine. Take care of yourselves. Stay safe. And know that I am thinking about you. Okay? Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for ASMR Tirar de Huello. Please take a moment to share, rate, and review this podcast. It really does help.
if you are interested in additional ASMR content, you may view our library of videos at youtube.com slash The theme song, Atlantis, is by Jason Shaw of Audionautics.com and is used by permission. Correspondence, including questions or requests, may be sent to tirardohuelo at gmail.com. On behalf of Dr. Andrew Michaels, thank you.